Uh, some of you are, are almost my age, probably. Some of you even older. But when I was little, I don't ever remember them letting kids do like anything. I, I think the first time I was allowed to speak in my home church was when I was 45 years old, <laughs> back visiting in Memphis. And yet our Kaleo team really believes in the unlimited ability of kids to do great things. Don't you think that's amazing? I, mean, I just think that's so, so wonderful. And so as you look at these kids and just think of what they were talking to us today, uh, the really the theme of this backwards way was don't waste, your th- don't waste your time on things that make it hard to love. I think, well, what do we waste our time on? We waste our time on trying to get ahead, trying to be all uh, that, that other people would be proud of. But often it's, it's measured in things that don't have lasting value. And so I thought about this. I, I love that last song, I Guess I Had It All Wrong. I Guess I Had It All Wrong. And I think for most of my life, I did. It, for, the, for you, for those of you that are under age 12, I got to tell you, I remember being in sixth grade and uh, I saw uh, Bruce Barber beating up kind of the, our class clown, the kid that everybody picked on, and Bruce was punching him in the face. This is back, I, don't ask me where the teachers were. I mean, this was the whole recess. And so I, just, I felt like, man, I needed to take on Bruce Barber, the, the school bully. And uh, I tried to pull him off, and right as he turned around and looked at me like, like he was going to do something to me, the bell rang. And I thought, there is a God. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, that God didn't help me too much that afternoon when I was walking home from school, and around a hedge of bushes came Bruce Barber and six of his best friends. And I was completely alone. That was the first time I ever got physically beat up. He actually had a ring and put a cut below my eye, which permanently ruined my modeling career. I was going to be a famous model. And uh, I walked the whole, the whole way home crying. And you know what, what was the most disturbing to me that day? That was the moment in sixth grade when I realized I wasn't the center of the universe. I think up until that moment, I thought I was God's gift to the world. And walking home that day from school, getting beat up and nobody watching, adults driving by in their cars, I thought, didn't anybody see me? And I thought, no, nobody sees me. And I thought, wow, this is not the way I pictured it was going to be. And so I think of us as a church. I think those of us who are Kaleo parents and grandparents and, and friends, I thought, what would it be like if we learned some principles from this backwards way? What if, what if we learned what these kids are learning that a lot of us never learned? Is that maybe the way up is actually the way down, and maybe the way down is actually the way up, maybe serving others maybe giving ourselves. And so I really had two questions for us to think about. First of all, what would the church look like if it wasn't contained on a piece of land or a location? Like like you think it had to be a building. What if the church was really people going out, living in a backwards way? The second question is like it. So what would we look like as Jesus followers if it was no longer about us? What would it look like if all of a sudden all the things that we had focused on ourselves for our whole lives got put aside and we actually could think about others? These are the core questions we're going to look at over the next three weeks leading up to Christmas. And I thought, you guys, 
What if each of us understood God's heart for the world? What if each follower of Jesus knew their own unique abilities to reach the world? That's one of the things I love about Kaleo. They're teaching these kids their uniqueness and their giftedness, and they put something together that is really remarkable and beautiful and inspiring and joy-giving. I thought, what if each of us started to see ourselves not as spectators or people trying to advance ourselves, but as participants in the mission of God? What if we saw that God's whole agenda to change the world was to do it through us? That's the dream. That's what's going to lead us up to Christmas, because when we come to Christmas in a few weeks, and I hope you get your tickets, tickets are flying, you might see, we, we're doing some promotion on television, actually, this, this month. It's really fun, and you can't believe how cheap it is. Um, so we're just, we're hoping God's going to bring people along the way, but it really, the theme of Christmas is the tale of two kings, and you know what these two kings did? Herod was the king who was all about making himself number one. Herod, actually, I've been there in Israel, you guys. Herod actually had a mountain built for himself. He actually had tens of thousands of workers over a period of years build himself a mountain called Herodium. It's unbelievable. With an interior thing, and it was because it was all about him. When he found out Jesus was coming, he tried to kill him. Jesus was a powerless baby born in a backwater town called Bethlehem. No status, no money, no prestige. And yet Jesus was a king too. Jesus was the one who shows this backwards way. And so today I just want to give you a couple of thoughts about what this backwards way looks like. It's pretty fascinating. I just want to give you two contrasts, almost like the tale of the two kings. But before we do that, I'd love for us to receive our offering. Uh, so I'd love the ushers to get ready for that as well. I want to say uh, a lot of you are families that are visiting. This moment is, you don't have to worry about this moment financially. If you want to stuff large wads of cash in, you're surely welcome to do that. That's supposed to be funny. It's not funny anymore. Seriously, you're our guest. We want you to just feel free to let that go. But a lot of you, you're a part of the Kensington movement. You're a part of fueling things like Kaleo. It's part of the mission of God in the world. And I'm going to share with you some stuff later in the service I think you'll be inspired by. Because I, I, I've thought about all the things that God did this year that are truly, truly remarkable. So... Uh, are the ushers coming? Did I see you come? Yeah, you can come. And then while they do that, if you're, uh, if you're giving, I realize about 80% of us give online now, but, if, but uh, this is still a great visual moment that we give back to God, just some of what he's given to us as a part of his movement in the world. So I want to tell you a story that actually begins the almost one of the first stories of the Bible. In Genesis 11, the people gathered in a town called Babel. I'm just curious now, how many of you ever heard the word Babel or the, the, the tower? How many of you have heard of the tower of Babel? Back here, anybody in that section back there? Are you, okay, so raise your hand. Remember I told you I was watching you guys back there. <laughs> the tower of Babel was such an interesting story. Now I remember when I first read the book of Genesis when I was about 10 years old, I remember loving this story. You hear it and tell me if you like it. It says the whole earth had one language. Wouldn't that be amazing? Do you know how many languages there are in the world today? Anybody know how many distinct languages there are? How many? You want to guess? 120. 
120. What do you think? 125. You're, you're getting better. What? 7,000. There are 7,000 distinct languages in the world, and with dialects, it takes it almost up to 10,000. The reason I know that is because I've worked with a group called Wycliffe Bible Translators, which are trying to translate the Bible into all those languages of the earth. You actually can look about these people, groups, and languages if you go to a website called the Joshua Project. But in all of these places, you realize the world is so crazy because we speak all these languages. Well, this is a story that describes how that came about. So the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen, which would have been kind of like a slime or a tar for mortar to, for the rocks to fit together. Then they said, come and let us build ourselves a city. Or actually the word would, would indicate this, let's build walls. Let's build walls around us and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let's make a name for ourselves. Just, let's build like a, a place where it's just going to be ours. And he says, otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. You think, when I remember as a kid, I remember thinking, well, that would be terrible to be scattered across the face of the earth, almost like it was a negative thing. But here's what I didn't know when I was little. Marguerite, I didn't know this when I was five. But when they were going to build this city, they were actually disobeying God. Because God, in the two chapters before this in Genesis 9, said this. Look at what he said to Noah. After the, remember Noah and the ark? He said to Noah and his sons when, when it was over, he said, after, after the flood and everything was over, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And let's say this all out loud together. And what? Fill the earth. What did he mean? He was like, your job is to, is to go. It's to fill the earth. It's not to just sit and huddle in this place. But they're like, no, we don't want to do that. We're just going to build a wall. We're going to have everything we need here. And we're not going to do what God asked us to do. We're going to make a name for ourselves. This is so interesting to me. Because this is exactly what God said to Adam and Eve when he created them in Genesis 1. The very first chapter of the Bible. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They didn't want to do it. And so there's a human plan out there. There's a human, we always have a plan. And you know what the plan is? I'll tell you what my plan is. And so it's Steve Andrews' plan, and I think it's a human plan. We have three things that we're always thinking about, all of us. The number one thing is self-protection. Self-protection. We're always thinking about how we can get secure. We want to build communities that are exclusive, Churches want to build communities where, hey, it's just us four and no more. That's what we used to say. We call that the holy huddle. Us four and no more. Nobody else is let in. You ever go, kids, you ever go into the lunchroom cafeteria and you realize there's a table of kids sitting there and they don't want you to sit there? It's a terrible feeling. I remember that like it was yesterday. I remember once when I was in seventh grade and I'd just come back from Africa. My parents were missionaries in Africa for a year. And I came back and I sat at a lunchroom cafeteria and the, these kids knew that I was a follower of Jesus. I sat down at the, this lunchroom table and all 10 kids in unison knew I was coming. They got up with their lunch trays, all got up. As I sat down, they all got up silently without saying a word and all left and went to other tables and left me sitting alone in the middle of the cafeteria. That's what people do to each other in this world. And so because of that, 
We try to protect ourselves. But then we also do something else. We're into self-promotion. We, we say, just like the people of Babel, let's make a name for ourselves. And by the way, in terms of social media and what happens today, I don't think there's ever been a time, has there, where we're more into self-promotion. I mean, we're just, people like, I want to have more followers. I want more likes. I want people to notice me. And I thought, wouldn't, wouldn't it be such a better place if we were into other promotion? What if all of our agenda was to promote others along the way? That's what these kids are learning. We build skyscrapers. They're always trying to build the next tallest skyscraper. It's the same thing. It's just like the Tower of Babel. And the last one is this, self-promotion, self-protection, and selfish pride. We do our things. We want to protect ourselves. In fact, Billy Graham, does anybody remember Billy Graham? He's kind of a famous preacher, evangelist. He said this, selfish pride shuts God out of our lives because it makes us believe we don't need him. It leads to arrogance because it causes us to think that we're better than others. It blinds us to our own faults and makes us insensitive to the needs of others and causes us to control others instead of loving them. That's why, kids, as you're singing that last song, we need to learn to love, right? It's about learning to really give yourself to others because every sin of humankind is rooted in pride. Now, here's the crazy thing. Here's where it gets good. God's plan is so radical that it seems insane. Like God's plan for the world doesn't make any sense to the world. The people that are in power, they don't understand this. And this is what it means. It means that the way forward so often means going backwards. It means the way up means taking the way down. It means others first. It means hands open. Instead of trying to grab for everything, right, you do that. It's about going away. What about this Christmas, you kids that are in this room? What if this Christmas was more about the presents you're going to give to other people than about the presents you're going to receive? That'd be a big change, wouldn't it? Because I remember up until I was 58, it was always Christmas first for me. That was just a few years ago. So here's the backwards way. You ready? You want to hear the backwards way? This is Philippians chapter 2. This is about Jesus. The tale, remember the tale of the two kings we're going to talk about at Christmas? The great king that built a mountain for himself. Jesus the king who gave up everything. This is what he does. Listen to this. It says to us, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So what was Jesus' attitude? Did you guys know what his attitude was? Look again, because this has been one of the theme verses of Kensington from before we even began this church. He said, Jesus, though he was God, did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, right? Not closed hands, open hands. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave or a servant and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's the king and the creator of the universe. Makes himself nothing. Isn't that amazing? 
He gives up all of this. And I just want you to look at two words. There's two words in here that says humble. It says he humbled himself. It tells us to be humble. I want to give you a definition I want you to think about this week. To be humble means to have a deep sense of one's own littleness. Can y'all say that with me? Humility, the word, means a, to have a deep sense of one's own littleness. Say, everybody get little now. Come on, everybody get little. And say, what if we were this way, not just thinking, not saying we're worthless, but when we saw others, we saw them like this. What if, you know, when this service is over, a lot of you that are, know these kids, you're going to speak to these kids. What is it you're going to try to communicate to them? You're awesome. You're made by God. We, are, we love you. We're proud of you, right? It's that whole thing of not making yourself big, making yourself little so that you can what? Make somebody else big. In fact, it goes back on to say, consider others as better than yourselves. You know what that word better than means? It means you're going to take that other person and have them over you. you it's, it's like you're actually, the Greek would sense would be, you're going to lift them up and, and hold them up on a pedestal. What if we did that? What would the world be like if everybody we met, we saw a person said, I, would, I, just, want to, I just want you to be higher than me. What if we did that as a church? What if we did that in our neighborhoods? Wouldn't it be unreal? Someone say that would be unreal. It would be unreal if we did this. This is the message that Jesus wants us to take everywhere in the world. Dave Gibbons, who kind of inspired this series about the backwards way, he said, when you live in your pain, he says, all of a sudden, you, you know what your pain is? He says, your pain becomes your platform to real blessing of other people. Bless you. Instead of bringing self-promotion, you bring life and love to other people. In fact, when Jesus said this in Matthew 28, just two more thoughts. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's like, I've got all the power. He says, you know, and so you know what I want to do with all the power? I want to send you. Isn't that cool? You can say, i got all the power on the earth, so I'm going to build a mountain to myself. That's what Herod did. No, Jesus said, i got all the power in the world, so I want you to go and love people. I want you to go and give of yourself. And if you do, you'll find life in the process. Because you know what? A lot of us came into this room today struggling. Our families are struggling. We're struggling financially. We're struggling with worries about our jobs or lack of a job. We're worried about what's happening in our country. There's so many things we're worried and upset and anxious about. And you know what Jesus says in this same verse, Matthew 28? He says, I'm going to be with you always. So go. So go. And make disciples everywhere. Disciples to do what? To bring the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to the world. And to bring discipleship means a person who's going to elevate others over themselves. And this is my last really big thought. This is the backwards way. You ready for this? This is Matthew 20, 28. Kids, I know, even if you can't read, I want you to listen really carefully, kids, to this one thing. It's pretty awesome. Jesus said this. He said all, uh, no, no, the next one, sorry. I want to skip to... Uh, Matthew, the serving one, sorry. What is it? Matthew 20, 28. Don't I have one more? Do I not have one more? Okay, just got to read it. Because it's really going to be good. It said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen, if you had all the money in the world, if you, let's say you were the, you were the, you were Bill Gates and you own Microsoft or you're, or you're Jeff Bezos. Is that how you say his name? Jeff something? I don't even know how to say his name. He owns Amazon. He's the richest man in the world. What would you use all your money for? If you had all the money in the world, what would you use it for? You know what Jesus used all his for? To serve. That's our Jesus. That's why, to me, in all the offers that the world has, our Jesus is still the best offer out there. You see, the way of Babel, it's to build yourself up. For Jesus, it's to give yourself away. And so today, when I think about that, I think of Kaleo kids. I want to celebrate with you uh, a story, a video story, of one of our original Kaleo kids, Trin Pafford. She's an amazing, powerful, gifted worship leader in the Kensington orbit. She leads worship at different campuses, especially Troy. She's a, she's a powerful young woman of God. And she shares her journey with us today on video. But I want to celebrate something. I want to celebrate Renee Mullenix and her team that had a vision for Kaleo Kids, not just to serve Kensington, but to serve the broader community. I love the fact that we're in six fantastic local schools and that those kids get to be a part of this journey as well. They get to share their talent. We get to see their amazing giftedness as well. And I love the fact that Jesus does all of this along the way. And so as you look at this, realize trends where she is. Because there were people that were Jesus to her that said, Trend, we're going to take you and we're going to hold you over ourselves. Isn't that cool? Watch this. Um, I've known you for quite a long time now. You've been doing Kaleo with us for years. When did you start? You were in what grade? Fourth grade. And what was that performance? You remember? It was Turkey Trot. It was yes, Thanksgiving performance. Trot. Yes. What was your first time doing Kaleo like? I was like obviously a little nervous, but when I heard that I got the singing solo, I was like, what? Like there's no way like I got it. And I was so, so excited for it. I remember going on stage and not feeling nervous at all. Just feeling super comfortable on the stage, even though there was like so many people in the crowd. And I was like, this is so fun. And I just had fun with it. Come on, let's turkey chat. there was any like pressure of being perfect like I don't think I felt any of that it was just more of like a fun time for me to express what I love doing you know you mentioned that when you came you just kind of felt comfortable can you talk about like what Kaleo is like as far as feeling like you belong the community part of it yes I think Kaleo the cool thing about it is it's not just like singing dancing or acting it's like a community, it's not a camp, it's more of like a family, I would say, because the main focus of Kaleo is, well, one, to make kids feel special and know that they are loved and that they have a place, like they have a voice. And so I feel like Kaleo brings that out of people through singing and dancing and acting, which is so special and there's nothing like that. There's three rules with Kaleo, it's just be respectful, listen, and have fun. And those three things definitely came across when we, they were teaching us stuff. 
And I think the fun part of it was very important because I think sometimes at school and at home, there's that pressure on us to like do well in this and be the best in this. But at Kalea, it was just like to have fun and be with your friends. And it was really just doing the best that you can, but not making it perfect, just having fun with it. When you come to Kaleo, it's for elementary school kids and they get to do music, dance, and drama, as well as the community time. What is the community time like? Community time is this short amount of time that we all come together and someone's teaching a lesson in a really, really fun way. Sometimes there's a game um, and we always have a memory verse with hand motions that the kids can do. And it's a time for all of us to come together and just learn how they are as an individual and as a child of God. Okay, so what are your favorite memories in Kaleo over the years? Brazil was one of them. We got to go to Brazil together, and I think I was in eighth grade. It was my first time going outside of the country. I think it was really cool to see how even kids outside of the U.S. still respond to music and singing the same way. The heart of Kaleo, like, was still there and still present, and we got to share that with the kids. So one of the new things, you know, we started doing with Kaleo is creating school partnerships so that we can take Kaleo outside of Kensington and out into the local schools. So the word Kaleo means to invite. So what does that mean to you? What have you, how have you seen that played out? It gives a chance for kids who are kind of in the area but don't have that access to music and the arts. I've just witnessed so many people creating new friendships because of how we're inviting people together. One of the things we value in Cleo, obviously, is leadership and drawing that out in children so that they can see themselves as a leader among their peers at school or in their families or neighborhoods. Is that something that you feel um, you got from this program? Yes, for sure. I think, because I was only in Kaleo for like two years, and I was really involved with it after um, being a K-Crew and now being like a teacher. I think my leadership skills definitely started in Kaleo because I remember like the impact it made on me and how much I enjoyed it. and so. And I remember the teachers and how they taught, and I was like, that I want to do that like for kids. And so I think that's why I'm so invested like in the program. I'm still with it now. And it's cool to build these relationships with these kids because it's like I've seen them grow now, like how you've seen me. And so that's just like the really cool part of that, about it. I just want to give back like how it's impacted me. This remarkable arts Jesus movement has taken place in the lives of kids. It's grown from Kensington campuses into under-resourced communities, into elementary schools all over the area, and starting to expand even beyond that. And everywhere you see it happening, it's like Jesus is alive. He's alive in the lives of people, adults that are leading, kids that are learning, kids that are doing far more than they ever imagined that they can do. Yeah, it's crazy as a teacher to see someone start, you know, at that age of what, eight or nine, yeah. and be surprised at this beautiful voice and this, you know, kind, pleasant person, but then start to see um, this like leader 
you know, coming out of you. And to be able to be a part of that journey and give you those opportunities, I've just seen your responsibility grow and your communication when you're teaching. Um, And it's just been so fun just to see every opportunity you're given, you just kind of take it and are so beyond your years because you um, really do embrace each moment. So it's fun to see. I don't know if there's ever been a time where the next generation is longing more for a deeper blessing. Like to know that their identity is not rooted in superficial things like fashion or temporary achievements, but that their worth is really planted in the nature of God's love and Jesus Christ's care for them. And so when I see a whole army of Kensington people pouring into the lives of the next generation, it gives me hope that people will know they're valued. And not only that they're valued, but that they're going to pass that value on to generation upon generation. So when you make a year-end Christmas gift to Kensington, you have an opportunity to pass something on of substance to the next generation that cultural trends can't take away, superficial promises can't rob you from, but it's a gift to say, no, you're valuable because Jesus Christ is alive. He loves you and he's made you a person with great potential and great value. And so you learn that and you know that and then you give that to the next generation. Let's invest to see God do that in generations to come.